to lead us into this morning message. I love that song. Of course, you know I love many, many, many songs, and they're all my favorites. And, uh, <laughs> but that particularly, I, this morning, I thought, oh, Lord, thank you for this wonderful, all these songs were wonderful, but I particularly loved that song. I thought, man, if there was ever a Hanukkah song, this is kind of it. And uh, so I love that. And today we're going to be teaching on Hanukkah because Hanukkah begins next Sunday. So we will not actually have Shabbat next Friday night. So don't come Friday. We won't be here. But we will have church Sunday morning. And then Sunday night at 630, we will have a Hanukkah celebration. So I hope if you've never participated in Hanukkah, I hope you'll make plans to celebrate with us. It is such a wonderful night of worship and praise to our Lord. So today we're going to teach a little bit on Hanukkah. So if you don't know much about it, hopefully by the end of the day you'll know a lot more about Hanukkah. You know, growing up we didn't celebrate Hanukkah in uh, my home and uh, I didn't really know much about it, but I thought it was like the Jewish Christmas. I thought we have Christmas, they have Hanukkah. And... Um, I really didn't think any more about it than that. But I've come to find out that that is the furthest thing from the truth. And so today I want us to really press in and understand what Hanukkah is. And is it biblical? A lot of times people will say to me, well, that's not really biblical. The thing about it is I would agree it's not a Levitical feast so it's not over in Leviticus with all of God's feasts where they're listed there in Leviticus 23 but it is a very biblical truth and understanding of which Jesus approved of and even participated in um, as you remember when we studied the book of Daniel about a year and a half two years ago now um, Daniel, the book of Daniel, Daniel had a vision that prophesied of this very place of what would uh, one day become Hanukkah. And so yeah, all the way back to the Old Testament, it was something God was doing. And it actually happened in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's not a place that it was included because in those years... Uh, between Malachi and Matthew, God was silent. And so he didn't, uh, but he wasn't not doing some things. So when we say it's the silent years, and I thought about that so clearly over the last few days, he wasn't that he wasn't doing anything. He just didn't bring and put in our Bible some of the things that he was doing. But you can go and read in places of history, uh, particularly the book of the Maccabees, and you can read a lot about what God was doing in this period of time. Some of that we're going to talk about a little bit today. But Jesus, we want to look at that in John chapter 10. We've been in the book of John and will continue to be for the next few weeks. Turn with me to page 1236. <clears throat> Page 1236, 
John chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 22. John 10, verse 22, page 1236. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep, as I've said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I, gave them, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And the Jews took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I've shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, It is not written, I'm sorry, is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken. Do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent to the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I'm the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So Jesus has gone to Jerusalem as the Jewish people all went to Jerusalem three times a year. So it is written in God's law in the Torah that you, if you were a Jewish family, you would go. The men were required and the families went with them to go to Jerusalem three times a year. So they went at unleavened bread. And they went at Pentecost, and they went at Tabernacles. Those were required times that the Jewish people would go to be at the temple. But this was a place that was not required by God's law to go, but people went out of respect and out of honor for what God had done. So Jesus, out of respect and out of honor for what, what the Feast of Dedication actually is, went to Jerusalem. I want you to hear that because a few weeks ago we talked about Jesus. He was in the temple 
in Jerusalem and he was turning over the tables because he wasn't okay with the the uh, people that were buying and selling and the money changers and he was turning over the tables because they were disrespecting God's holiness what's so important about this is he doesn't come here and in any way condemn this place rather he joins in so when somebody says why do you celebrate Hanukkah because Jesus did and he's our Messiah I think you'll see today that as he enlarges our understanding over Hanukkah that Christians should embrace this place and honor the Father and all of his works through these understandings. It says that he was uh, at the Feast of Dedication. You see there it says the Feast of Dedication. If you look this word up in the Greek, it would actually be Hanukkah. Hanukkah. That means dedication. It means to be devoted to. So Jesus was celebrating Hanukkah. It says it was about wintertime, which I think is a very interesting place. I love the details that God places in our Bible to help us to understand what he wants us to see. It was winter. It was in the cold of winter. It's in the deepest, darkest times of the year. This is when Hanukkah takes place. And it says that Jesus is walking in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then he begins to talk to the Jewish people as they surround him. And they say, tell us who you are. Tell us if you're really the Christ. If you're really the Messiah. If you're really the anointed one. What they were saying is, we want to know if you're the one that's coming back that's going to fix all of our problems. That's really what they were wanting to know. You see, they were under persecution at this point in time of the Romans. And what they were wanting to know is, Jesus, are you the one that's going to come in here and overcome our enemy so that we don't have the problems to deal with? I think it's really important that we see what they're really asking, who they're looking for. Because John has been opening up our understanding throughout the book of John of who Jesus actually is. In fact, in one place, he says, who is it that you seek? And John is trying to help us to see one more time here, who is it that they, that they sought and who is it that we actually seek? Hanukkah is a time of lighting of the candles. And you, you might be familiar with the menorahs that were in the temple. The menorahs in the temple actually had seven candles. Actually, they were bowls of oil, and they were lit. 
And these menorahs were the reflection of light in the only light in the, in the temple. But the Hanukkah, it's called a Hanukkah, the Hanukkah menorah, the Hanukkah, is lit and uh, there are actually nine candles and the middle candle is called the servant candle and you actually pull this candle out and light the rest of them with this candle. So what you'll do is every night starting on the 28th is you will light the servant candle first. That's the middle candle. And it represents Jesus. It, he came as a servant. And then every night you will light one candle with the servant. And it represents that Jesus is the light and that he brings light into the world. Everything is lit by him. So every night you will let light one more candle for the eight nights of Hanukkah. If you don't have a Hanukkah and you would like to participate, if you'll see Rebecca, she has some that our church would love to share with you and, and uh, have you um, a part of this great celebration. The celebration of Hanukkah is primarily a time to come and reflect on who Jesus is in your life. It's often, often referred time to as a time of celebrating miracles. And where that is true, I have seen that God has grown us and changed our understanding to understand it is not just about what Jesus can do for us. But it's a place to come and to see the things that he's done for us that lead us into understanding of who he is. So Hanukkah is, can be so twisted when it is about us and what God's done for me. I want Hanukkah to be a time where it's truly a place of coming to worship in what I've been able to see him do in the physical that leads me to a spiritual awakening with him. So how did Hanukkah happen? How did it come to be? Back many, many years ago in about uh, 175 B.C. Before, before Christ, there was a guy that was a ruler and um, a mighty warrior, and he overtook and conquered great lands. And you might remember him studying about him in school. His name was Alexander the Great. And he was great because he took over everybody. And he conquered everybody, so he primarily took over what we would call Syria and Egypt and Israel. And he conquered all of these great places, and he brought in an awareness and a, a new culture to the places that he was over. And this place was called Hellenism. And if you were Hellenized, that means you began to join up 
with his understanding of how culture should be. And he changed all the things in the cultures to uh, bring in the arts and to bring in theater and to bring in philosophy and science and uh, literature. And he brought all of these new understandings to these places. Uh, gymnastics, sports, was a big place that, um, that Alexander the Great brought in. And now people were beginning to com compete against each other. And, and you were talking about races, win the races. But it was a, a little twisted. Everything that he did was just a little twisted. And everybody was participating in the nude. So it had this sexual element to it as, as well. Much of the art, much of the theater had a very twisted view to it as well. But his biggest thing was not just bringing these understandings to this culture, but to teach people how to love these new ways which is so interesting to me because when you look up the word Hellenism, it, the root word is Hellas, and the root, root word actually means a way of life. So Hellenism is a whole new way of life, a Greek understanding that really affects us much today. But what Alexander the Great brought with these these culture changes was the love for these new places. That you would love sports, that you would love the arts, that you would love science, that you would love philosophy, that it would have a place of control in your life because it was so powerful. It's so interesting to me as you see how the enemy works because here is Hellenism, instructions for life, how to live according to Alexander the Great. But the Jewish people, the people of Israel, had been raised up for many generations with the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. God's laws, God's ways, and the Torah actually means instruction for life. So you see the competition between what God's way was, what God is doing, and what the world wants you to follow and love. God's ways led us to loving him and to love one another. These things over here led us to love the world and all that it could provide for you. Alexandra died at about uh, 33 years old, and um, his kingdom was divided up into four areas of which one would include Israel. And this area was 
uh, conquered or taken over or, or, or given to a general by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus agreed with exactly what Alexander the Great thought. And that is, is that whoever was in charge would be God. He was really even stronger and, and, and more violent and really a tyrant to the people that he governed. Where Alexander the Great did conquer people, he wasn't quite the tyrant, but he did consider himself a god. Antiochus came along, and he also considered himself a god. In fact, Antiochus' epiphany means the invisible god. I want you to remember that. Antiochus saw himself as the invisible God. He had coins printed with his picture on it. All the money was um, worked through his organization, his government. He uh, had all the people now bow down to the God that he chose to honor, which was the God of Zeus. And so he would erect Zeus in the towns. He took over the temple. He distorted all of God's things. He defiled the altar. He poured pig's blood on God's altar. He tore down the lampstands. And he erected Zeus in God's temple. He trashed it out. Totally disrespected it. And then he would go about from town to town with his soldiers enforcing that the Jewish people could no longer honor God's ways, God's laws, or go to temple and worship God. They would no longer have anything to do with any of the things they were taught, any of the things God had required of them. They were now to be Hellenized. And quite frankly, many of the Jewish people joined in with that. They saw that you could be killed or thrown in prison or your family could be killed. So it was just easier to join up with what was going on rather than to stand against it. And so many people did. But Antiochus would send his forces through the towns and he would require that people, when they would see them, that they would immediately fall down and bow. And they would bow to Zeus or they would bow to Antiochus, whichever the soldiers might be requiring. They would go through the towns and they would look for women with children and if a woman had a small child in her arms, they would oftentimes grab the child away from the mother and they would rip off its clothing to see if the child had been circumcised following God's laws. And if the child had been circumcised, they would immediately kill the child. They would hang the child around the mother's neck and parade the mother through the town 
encouraging others to not follow in this manner. Oftentimes at the end of parading the mother through the town, the mother was thrown off of a cliff and was killed herself as well. If you read in the book of Maccabees, which is a great historical book that, that helps us to understand this time, you will read many, many stories like this. You would also read about a, a, a mother named Shauna who had seven sons, and she was in a small town, and the soldiers of Antiochus uh, came to her and the seven sons and said, you will bow to the God of Zeus. And she said, I will not. I only bow to Jehovah, to Yahweh. And the soldier says, then I will kill your oldest son. And she stood strong. And he turned to the oldest son and he said, will you bow? And the oldest son said, no, I will not. I only bow to Jehovah. And they killed him right there in front of his mother and his six brothers. And then they went to the next one, and they said the same thing. Will you bow? And the next one said the same thing, said, no, I will not. And they killed him in front of the mother and in front of his brothers. I can't imagine. But they went through all of the brothers till they got to the very last son, the youngest son. And they said, listen, surely you can see that your mother has been placed in so much torment today. Surely you will bow, that she would not have to go through this anymore. And surely you would want to bow, because then you can stay and take care of your mother. Who's going to look after her? Who's going to take care of her if you are killed also? And so they're pleading with this young man trying to persuade him to do what they want, to bow to Zeus. And the young boy bravely said, no, I will not. I will not bow. I only bow to Yahweh. And they killed him. Shauna is recorded as saying, this was the greatest day of my life. It's a hard thing to say as a mother, isn't it? It's a hard thing to understand. She went on to say, I have seen all of my children stand in honor of Yahweh. Another town there was a priest, an older priest, named Matthias Maccabee. And he and his five boys were in town. And the soldiers came and said to him, you will bow. And he would not. He knew what would happen if he did not. He knew well, just as 
Shauna also knew. He also knew that many times they would bring pork and that they would cause you to eat the pork which defiled their bodies under the law of God. And they would stuff pork down their throats until they'd oftentimes suffocate. So Matthias knew what could happen here, but the soldiers came and they um, asked him to bow, and, and he said, no, I will not. A young boy not far from where this was happening saw what was going on, and he knew they were going to kill the old priest. And so he came running over and he said, I will bow for him. I will bow in his place. And he bowed, which sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? In our world, we'll say, oh, man, thank you. Thank you for saving my life here. But Mattathias saw the greater picture and the greater understanding, and anger filled his heart. Because this young person, this young Jewish person, had disrespected, had defiled the very name of God by bowing to Zeus. So Mattathias pulled out his uh, sword and he killed the young boy right there. And then he and his five sons all pulled their swords upon the soldiers that were there and killed every one of them. Then he turned to the boys and he said, we will go into the mountains. Because he knew there was going to be a great battle coming. He asked anyone in the town that wanted to go, wanted to go into the mountains and again live as God has called his people to live. To join him and they would all go. So they all went into the mountains and they all began to live and respect and honor the places God had placed upon them through the Torah. But it wasn't long until word spread, and so Antiochus was very um, embarrassed and angry because this small group of people had killed his soldiers. So he sent a little number of soldiers, quite a number, over to the hills where they were hiding to take them out. They killed all of the soldiers. So Antiochus, even more angry, sent a larger number of soldiers. And again, God's people killed out the enemy. This went on and on until they had overcome the entire Greek army in their area. And when they left there, they went back to the temple with victory in their hearts and they began to restore because they saw that God had given the enemy over to them. They went back and immediately began to cleanse the temple. They cleansed the, the altar. In fact, the rocks that had this pig's blood on them, they said these rocks are no longer worthy to even be in the temple. They hauled those rocks off and they buried them so they could never serve God again. 
because they've been defiled, even the rocks. And they put new rocks in there for the altar. They cleaned up the lampstands and they cleaned up all the trash and the weeds and they restored holiness to God's temple. And as you know, there's a, a story. Some say it's true, some say it's not true. But it is recorded in the Talmud that they found this oil to relight the temple lampstands and they had just enough oil to light all of the lampstands for only one day. It was not much oil. And they knew that God's law was is that you would light the lamps and that they would forever burn in the temple. They were never to go out. But it takes eight days to purify the oil. And they only had enough for one. And so the story goes that they filled up the lamps and they lit them. And by a miracle, a great miracle, the lamps burned for eight days. And by that time, they had purified the oil and the lampstands continued to burn with their lights in God's temple. The story of Hanukkah is more than the oil burning. I think that's a great miracle. I love it. I love it because it shows us God's power and his authority over one more place. I've seen God do so many miracles that it's not a stretch for me to believe that he would make that happen. So I probably would tend to say that I believe in the oil. But the oil is only a small part of the picture and the understanding of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is about miracles. But Hanukkah is much more than just the miracles. Hanukkah is about light overcoming darkness. God's victory against his enemy. One of the things I want you to recognize that I think is so important, because each of us find ourselves in battles every day. Some great, some small. But God didn't take away the battle. He allowed his people to go through this very difficult place. And he used his people in the midst of this difficult place to overcome the enemy. God does miracles. Jesus called them works. 
God does miracles that would lead us in the physical understanding to be encouraged to look into and to see the spiritual understanding. The physical is a reflection of the spiritual. So every time we light a candle and we talk about the physical miracles that God has done in our lives, that is wonderful, and I love it. And I think it brings great praise to God and great respect to him and great honor. And so absolutely, when you light your Hanukkah candles each night, you can choose to do what Raj and I do. We sit around and we talk about the miracles we've seen, the physical miracles we've seen. But then we also talk about the spiritual miracles we've seen. As my temple has been defiled by many things that are not of him, the darkness that is so fleshly that he has cleansed, that he has cast out. And oh, what a joy it is to light the candles and remember the darkness that he has overcome and cleansed my temple. It's not about whether every victory is won in my lifetime. It's whether God's purpose is fulfilled in every day. Over 100,000 Jewish people died at the hands of the, of the Greek army. That's a lot of people. And we would say, God, why would you do that? And I would say, for your glory. Hanukkah is a time for us to be encouraged, strengthened, just as the Maccabees were. That we might stand as a light in the darkness. That we might minister to those around us and encourage and pray for. Yes, God may do mighty works. He may do great miracles. He might bring some wonderful healing to the physical. But he may do even beyond that. He may do mighty miracles in the spiritual that you would be able to witness who he is. I want to return to John 10, 22. I want to read this again. I want us to listen carefully. Now it was the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, in Jerusalem, and it was winter. It was in the dark of the winter. And Jesus walked. I want you to hear what I hear here is that Jesus is in the midst of the darkness if you're standing in faith with him 
He'll be with you. He'll strengthen you. He was with the Maccabees. And Jesus walked in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You see, there's so many people asking that in our world today. Who is this Christ? Who is Jesus? Tell us what you have seen him do. Then Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. There's many of those people here in our world today. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. You see, the miracles, the small ones, the big ones, that we've seen, they bear witness of him. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. As I've said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And then he gives the promise, not the promise that there'll be no battles, Not the promise that he'll fix every one of your problems. But right here he gives this answer. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Hanukkah is a foreshadow of the victory over darkness, over God's enemy. Not measured by what we see, but what we don't see, but rather we believe. Our victory is eternal. And our Savior is faithful. Please stand with me.
for him The demons run and flee At the mention of your name King of majesty There is no power in heaven